Hello and welcome to Pods Like Us. I'm Martin Quibell, known to my friends as Marv. This time I am talking with Chris Lost, Jim, oh, Found Jim, and Rick Rewound. I nearly got that. <laughs> Better than us. Yeah. 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 Oh dear. Now, let's tell people what your full names are, shall we? Or we keeping that a uh, secret. That's up to Chris. Found. I can't do that. I can't. I, can't. <laughs> I have to keep my secret identity. That's okay. <laughs> we, we, For we administrative tell, reasons. Okay. We won't tell everybody that you're really Batman. Thanks for taking the time to talk with me, guys. Sure. So, um, so let's start with the uh, with the person who came first on this uh, call and was early. Uh, Jim, what was <laughs> uh, the first experience for you of podcast? Ooh, you mean when you first Recon- when you first actually found out about podcasting and how you were introduced to it? Hmm. Well, it's probably from my brother, Rick, who actually can talk about it more than it, because he, he started, uh, I don't know, I think he's a, a trailblazer. I don't know if I, I know the history exactly, but he uh, started a podcast, I think, you know, it was before they were called podcasts, because iPods didn't exist. So he had this online radio show called Radio Zero that he, well... I should hand it over to Rick because that it's that's where I first kind of became aware of this thing that became podcasting. I think. Should I do this question all over again? Edit that out and say Rick. <laughs> okay. Yeah, he's. You thought you were getting lost and found and rewound, Marv. What you got was the person who potentially started the first podcast ever <laughs> on your podcast about podcasts. I don't know if that's true, but yeah. But, well, you know what? It sounds conversational enough. Okay, Rick, how did you get involved in podcasting and internet radio? Actually, oddly enough, um, before there was the term podcasting, uh, my wife and I started a online radio show out of our basement. And um, it was meant to kind of fill in the space... We, we are in a band together, and when we weren't touring, we wanted to create content for people uh, while our band wasn't on tour. And so we started just talking to each other in our home studio and putting it up online. And fans of our band started listening to it. Uh, and so that was really the origins of it. That would have been, I think it was around 1997 or 1998. And we've been doing that off and on uh, since then. Wow. So, how did you get from there to um, getting this show together? That's Chris. That's Chris. <laughs> Over to you, Chris. Jim is the MC of the answers tonight. He'll Jim will call out which one of us should answer. Uh, yeah, I um, I had done a little podcasting, just been on my friends' podcasts here and there, and then. Um, you know, I I had known Rick and Jim since I think we started hanging out in 1990, maybe around that time, uh, and really spent a lot more time with uh, Jim 
then Rick. And then recently Rick and I started hanging out last, well, actually probably last five years or so, maybe doing little things here and there, music stuff here and there. Um, and I just wanted to, uh, yeah, I realized that I hadn't spent a significant amount of time with the two of them together. And I, I hold them both in very high regard. And I thought, boy, what a, what a great excuse to, uh, to hang out with the two of them together since I had never done that before and, uh, or not to any significant degree. And so one time I was texting Rick about the movie Breaker Morant because I know Rick had seen sort of every esoteric movie under the sun and I always remember seeing the video box for Breaker Morant in the video store that we all grew up in or grew up around, I should say. We didn't grow up in it. Um, and I said, is the movie Breaker Morant any good? And, and Rick came back and said, I've never seen Breaker Morant. And I said, you know, I, I, I just remember seeing the box in Showtime Video. Shouldn't there be a podcast about esoteric or obscure films that we used to see back when we were kids in the video stores? And that's where it kind of started. And then we started a, an email thread and kind of shaped what we wanted it to be. And, and that's how it came to form. But I was really glad that it happened because uh, before this global pandemic uh, we would meet on average once a month uh, we would order Lito's pizza and we would sit down in Rick and Jim's childhood home and watch a movie together in the den where they probably watched movies as kids and then we would uh, tape a podcast about it so it was really kind of an excuse to well it was an excuse uh, to, to spend more time with them as friends but it, it turned into something kind of fun to share with others. That's brilliant. I, I like the idea that what you're doing is um, you decide whether the film should stay lost in the past, whether it should be found and other people should see it. And uh, I'm trying to get the lost found and rewound into this. But I'm sure that you three guys will be a lot better at describing the whole idea behind it than I would. You're doing pretty good so far. Yeah. Jim, do you want to describe the concept of what lost, what found and what rewound means? Well, yeah, it's it's uh, we, we, we just decided to pick um, movies that we had rented sort of in our teen years in the 80s, maybe early 90s, but mostly in the 80s, and things that we remembered. I guess the idea is that there were movies that we saw back then, rented, and maybe hadn't seen for, you know, a few decades since, and or movies that resonated with us, you know, uh, at that time. And just, we haven't revisited them since and just to see, watch them again and see if they hold up. And that's loosely it, I think, but pretty much they, they were all movies that we rented. Right. I think. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the litmus test for whether or not something should be found is, would we really say it to someone would we recommend the film to someone that we don't really know that well, like a coworker or a student, somebody mm -hmm. who might judge us for the recommendation? That's always a good test. Mm -hmm. It's definitely a, a, a form of status, right? When you recommend a film to someone else, it, it represents who you are uh, to them, right? And also what you think of that person, right? So if, if you think someone would like this movie, like if someone recommends a movie to me and then I watch and I go, why would they recommend this to me? Why do they think I would like this, right? And so it's, uh, yeah, I think that, that idea of uh, whether or not you would recommend it is, is really important, actually. 
that's yeah that's the found part right should it be found and then yeah. rewound is like i guess if we would watch it again right yeah of course yeah yeah i, th- I think it's cool because it's like a lot of things in life where even if uh, you know as a, as a musician i've tried to turn people onto bands that they might not know about before and it's the same thing where if if suddenly you find a film that somebody loves and then they say to you you know that film that you told me about I really enjoyed it. It gives you that special feeling then. And so what you're doing basically is a uh, a show all about doing that, trying to turn people onto these films that you that you love and that they might not know about because they're not quite the the big films that people would think of from those periods, like, you know, The Breakfast Club and that. Everybody knows about those films, but these are films that that are sort of like almost lost to time. They're thinking maybe we should actually make them be refound so that people can actually find out about them. Yeah. And I, th- yeah. Nope. And, and I think it's really important now too, because there's so much of like the media's referential, right? So when you say the breakfast club and then it's like, you'll watch a, a new film or television show and they'll reference the breakfast club or they'll reference referencing the breakfast club. And so a lot of these sort of mainstream touchstones of our generation are so over-referenced that you, you kind of need, I, I want to have an 80s film that I can reference that's not going to be, you know, just an obvious reference anymore, right? And so, yeah, I think that's part of it too. It's, it's, we, it's nostalgia in a way, but it's also, you know, giving people um, a nostalgia for an era that maybe they missed these films at that time, but they'll still, it'll resonate with them because they, you know, were kids or, you know, young adults at that time when those films came out, and and it, it, if they didn't know about them then, they should know about them now, and they might have, yeah, it might resonate with them now. Yeah, it's kind of like like with music too, like, you know, listening to something like I would listen to music from the '60s or something that I had no, I wasn't alive, but it was always more. It became more interesting to find the stuff that wasn't, you know, classic rock. You know, the deeper dive into you know more obscure bands and you realize oh there's this whole forgotten culture you know forgotten bands and things you know and it's the same thing yeah it's similar and it's like what we personally went through too it's like i realized that you know being in a band and we personally experienced it you know all these bands we knew that you know maybe kids these days are into maybe or you know grunge rock whatever 90s early 90s late 80s rock and they probably don't know, you know, they definitely have never heard of half the bands that we, you know, that we are friends and that we played with and everybody kind of, you know, they get lost in history and it's the same thing yeah, with films and it's, it's easy to just completely lose track of all that stuff. And you get this, like Rick was saying, you get this kind of homogenized or kind of generic view of an era you know, it just, things keep getting repeated and it's like, oh, this is the sixties and this, you know, this was the eighties. And this, so yeah, it gives you a more nuanced view. Yeah. And the uh, video store culture forced that, right? So I was a, I was just bored, right? A bored kid. I had way too much time on my hands. I had no adult supervision. And so I would just run through all the popular films in the video store and then just start renting things randomly looking at the box covers and so you found, you know, essentially unknown 
independent or they were they weren't even independent films like big studio films that nobody talked about that somebody at the video store thought was cool and so you're just sort of developing your own tastes in cinema based on what somebody else randomly put on a video store shelf because it was cheap or because they liked it or because they heard it was a good film and then there was just sort of the um, the prop the bargain basement stuff that they'd put on the shelves and you start grabbing that and watching that too and and it would amaze me to see something that looked really well done, professionally done, and no one knew about it. Uh, it's still to this day. I, I watched um, a couple of films that uh, Rick and Jim had recommended to me, and uh, I thought they were corny '60s sci-fi films. And it turns out they're you know epic classic films that um, people know about, but just don't don't give as much credit to nowadays. I, th I think um, one of the things is the fact that, like a film that I just mentioned, all these films that are well known, if you've never seen them before, you go to them. There's the, that certain bit. Of, there's almost like a hype to those films where you're expecting something when you approach them. But these films that you're actually talking about in your show, you go in there without any, or when you, as a listener, might want to watch the film before uh, listening to the show, you'll go into this film without any actual pre um without any pre you know any opinion beforehand you go into it fresh without having no, no knowledge with having no knowledge at all and none of the so somebody who's going to see star wars say for the first time they've got all that hype of that they've got all the <laughs> hype of this that and the other but these films you go in there with nothing so you're always going to get something from these films because it's completely fresh and you know absolutely nothing about them for the most part. Yeah, it's really interesting. I'm, I made my son watch uh, Heat, you know, the, you know, it's considered, I, I think at least in our generation, it's kind of considered a classic, absolutely. right? Yeah. And <laughs> watching it with a 16 year old and it was like, there's, there's a certain part where a van blows up and it just kind of goes poof. <laughs> and it's like, oh wow, is that it? And then there's, two hours of talking and then there's the epic action sequence right yeah. and then but but it's like you realize i and i hyped it and he had already seen the hype he was like oh i've heard about this online and everything like that but in the process of watching it he was kind of like oh it was okay but it's like you yeah I, I think that's true is that the the cultural baggage that gets laid on some of these films is just overwhelming i remember when i was in uh, at university and uh talking to a friend about Citizen Kane, you know, because I had a film class. And then he said, and then later on he said, oh, I watched that movie and it was really boring. You know, I didn't like it. I'm like, what? It's the greatest movie ever made. But it's like, well, no, everybody told me it was the greatest movie ever made and I had a class where they were explaining why it's the greatest movie ever made. But sometimes that, that level of sort of hyperbole, not that it's hyperbole for Citizen Kane, I guess, but it's it 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 overwhelms the film itself, or it yeah it it that yeah so it's great to have, and I think that goes back to the the uh, video store experience, right? It's like you've got all the hype stuff, but then you would find these mysterious you know gems hidden underneath that you didn't hear about, and they would be surprises. And that's the same thing like with record stores, right? You know, it's flipping through the vinyl and buying records and not having any idea buying a record because of the cover, right? And that's that's something that's lost these days. Although maybe I'm trying to tie it to podcasting. And so I feel like that that was 
what was interesting to me originally about podcasting was is what that idea was it was just just these small conversations between people it wasn't going to be this huge network of stars and people making a living off of talking it was more about making it you know using digital technology to have those kind of more conversational experiences and having smaller groups of people be able, be able to listen to people talk about stuff in the same way you would with your friends you know when you were hanging out at a record store at a video store right well and the way i learned about music a lot was um word of mouth and comp tapes so i i i really quickly switched from listening to the radio it was this is probably my senior year of high school from the radio and sort of word of mouth about sort of indie bands like Talking Heads and I guess Sonic Youth was probably in the Meat Puppets were as deep as I went but then a friend of mine gave me a comp tape with um, uh, In a Jar on it from Dinosaur Jr. You're Living All Over Me and it sort of blew my mind and at that point forward I just looked for for comp tapes from friends. I remember Jim made some incredible comp tapes from music I would have never have known about or heard and uh, Tom, our friend Tom was the same way, my friend Scott. So I just hanging around with people who are musicologists or film buffs, um, I realized that that was my avenue to finding those delightful surprises of something I've never heard about and turns out to be awesome. And Marv, I, I love the way you described it as if it's a, a strength of the podcast, uh, but I'll say it's not a great marketing strategy <laughs> to you know, have a podcast about Sharky's machine. It <laughs> doesn't draw them in uh, in droves. <laughs> Uh, am I the only one who actually thinks that that film's good? <laughs> oh, I think it's great. I, I wouldn't have watched it. It's good too. So the two two of you think it's good. <laughs> <laughs> I enjoyed it. It's it's. Yeah, sure. I find not to rehash the Sharky machines Sharky's you, you, machine you can, episode. You can tell it's, it's a dummy falling out of the window, though. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Yeah. But yeah, I, I would say more the the performances and the in between stuff are even more yeah yes. questionable. And uh, some of the scenes between Burt Reynolds and uh, oh, what's her name, Rachel Ward. Yes, some of the one of those scenes in particular would not be uh, done nowadays in a film for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he slaps her around a little bit, and then yes, she does slap her falls in love with him yeah. right afterwards. Which is how it always happened in 70s films, didn't it? Yeah. And yeah, we were talking about James Bond. Yeah. <laughs> I just watched Marathon Man again last night, and there's a lot of... there's there's uh, It's less problematic, the, the male-female relationship, it seemed like, even though she's completely using him, and it's based on a their relationship is based on a lie but at least there's no as Dustin Hoffman's character is, is incredibly passive and meek before I, I guess that's the whole point of the movie is that he, he gets forced into being aggressive he does that a lot in movies right straw dogs same yeah. plot yeah yeah Dustin Hoffman is interesting in that respect he did say that, yeah, yeah, I heard an interview recently with him saying that he didn't, he never held a gun in a movie. And then, you know, it's like that was something he was against. And then, then people were like, you've, you've had guns in movies before. You, you've done a lot of movies with guns, but he at least thinks about it when he, he yeah, 
It's well, he killed the guy with the bear trap him. in Straw Dogs. He put a bear trap on a guy's head, I think. <laughs> right. uh, so I don't, yeah. Well, he was holding well, the 12 bore shotgun in Straw Dogs. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 And then the, the pistol in uh, Marathon Man. Um, and actually, he does not shoot uh, Lawrence Olivier. Lawrence Olivier falls on his wrist knife. <laughs> retracting knife so that might be i think that's and in fact i think that i, I read some stuff about it as william goldman who did the script uh and book was unhappy because that was not the original ending so it may have been a dustin hoffman intervention because i think the character originally is supposed to just blow away the uh the uh oh i can't remember is the lawrence olivier character you know you t- you three need to do an off air bet where you you work out who comes out with the most trivia about each film individually and then one of you wins something at the end maybe <laughs> well rick would win rick rick is yeah, rick is yeah. the scholar on the five so jim jim is the guy who brings up just the most left field stuff although maybe it wouldn't be left field for brits because it seems to be a lot of uk stuff um and then rick knows i think rick you even studied film at one point near scholastic career right yeah i've taken as many film classes as my degree program allowed without having a film major (laughs) you avoided that's good to avoid and then i just watched everything there wasn't a film major at my university yeah there was what oh there was no film major you watch horror i don't think so um but there are a lot of film courses you know, it was interesting at the time, at least. But yeah, Chris Chris fills in a gap. I think I don't know about Jim. I don't, I don't feel like Jim's a big horror guy, and I know I'm definitely not. No. So Chris, you know, has that. And that's not. I'm not being dismissive, Chris. I'm saying that's you know an area that I. So so do you, do the three of you have different uh, specific genres that you go for, particularly yourselves, individually. Yeah, I mean, um, I'll watch everything. I do go on horror binges. I mean, I'm not insulted by Rick's fear of horror films. I, I, uh, I think horror is, it has some of the worst and most uh, troubling films of all time. And it also has some of the most poignant and socially relevant films of all time. Because you can, with a genre film, just like they could in Star Trek, you can get away with a lot of progressive thinking uh, and hide it under the guise of a genre. So there are horror films that have really said some very profound things, and then there are horror films that have really been horribly um, destructive, culturally destructive. So uh, you know, I think it's a very interesting genre from that perspective. But it's it's one I go in and out of. For the most part, I think if I were to watch something, it's you know action. I do like action films, or sort of I like films to sort of be candy kind of films, but uh, uh, I don't know, but I'll watch anything. Rick, what do you think your your preferred genre is? Boy, that's hard to say. I'm, I'm thinking back, like, so when Spotify gives those recaps of the year, last year, they said I was genre fluid. They could not identify <laughs> me with a specific music genre, so I, I like that term, genre fluid. So I think I'm genre fluid, but I do think I have... I, I have a soft spot for... Um, sort of older films that are somewhat optimistic, but then I also know that I have a really great appreciation for 
really dark apocalyptic <laughs> films too so i don't know if there's a there's any connection whatsoever i'm trying to think of what movie i've I, like i will watch that's the thing is like what's up doc which is one of the sh- movies we did in the show um is a film i've watched many many times throughout my whole life but i don't think that is um descriptive of the kind of movies that i like right because I enjoy watching Marathon Man too, which is, I'm surprisingly, well, it's a little corny in some spots, but it's surprisingly violent. And I found out had had the first Steadicam shot. It's not Rocky, it's uh, Marathon Man. It's just that Rocky came out first, but the guy who invented the Steadicam, okay, uh, shot a scene in Marathon Man before he shot the Rocky scene. So that was interesting. There's some more trivia for you to completely avoid answering the question. <laughs> wow. Thus winning the trivia award. Jim, Jim, what would you describe your genre taste as? Mm. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have definite... Well, I, especially in the past, you know, few decades, <laughs> two, 20 years, I don't, I don't watch many... Uh, mainstream movies at all you know i'm pretty i don't know i'm not pretentious but it's just like i just never go out to see big movies or if i do it's because i go with rick or something or that in the past it's (laughs) rick will always go to movies that you know i never would even think of going you know i just end up watching arty stuff so and again it's not i'm not i sound pretentious or something it's just i guess i yeah gravitate towards that kind of you know, non-narrative and non-cliched, you know, <laughs> kind of, I always like any, like foreign films and things or just anything that's, uh, you know, I, I don't care about plot, I guess. <laughs> so I don't care about if movies just end or, you know, I know it drives people crazy or things I, I couldn't care less, you know, or <laughs> if like unresolved endings and things. So I guess... That's what I, I like. So, do you have any specific uh, memories of when you when you rented vi- videos when you were younger, Jim? Um, let me think. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, I I like uh, um. I guess really early on it was such a a novelty like when we first got a VCR and uh we we had this little local video store that we talked about in the sh- our show and um yeah I was like probably 12 or something I don't know when we first got our VCR and it was just this little shop and it was such a new thing it was just a little mom and pop shop down in the center of town and it was just a really nice little store and uh, quaint you know now looking back on it and it's it was uh just a i wouldn't say magical but it was just a, a such a new thing you just go in and you know it was like this little shop and there are these little boxes and you go and it was it was really just a great new thing and it was yeah, before that, you just saw what was ever in the theater, and sometimes movies would come back. Like, I remember watching, uh, with 
my parents and Rick, like the sting yeah. came out, you know, it was like it, or it, I didn't see it when it originally came out. That was like 1974. I would have been five. And, but we saw it when maybe five years later it came back out. And so we, my parents liked that movie. And I was like, oh, let's go see this. And it's just, you know, how movies used to come back in the theaters. And that was the only way you would see an old movie unless it was on TV. And so it was something just completely new and uh, just opened up, you know, all the, you just started watching all these, finding all these other movies you would never see. And I wish I could remember. I mean, I, we must have gone to the video store and when we got the VCR, our family got the VCR and the first, what would have been the first video we picked out, you know, to at the video store, but I can't. I think it was like bedazzled. Really? Remember? Yeah, like wow. my mer- wow. my dad, you know, was like, oh, this is a, you know, he was like, oh, this is a great movie. Let's, and they Dudley, had it. And Dudley it Moore. Like, no, no. Dudley Moore and Who Peter Cook, it? wow. Peter Cook, yeah. Peter I, Cook, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, that's definitely that an early, that, wow. I remember, that was probably wow. the, for one of the first ones we rented. And it was, yeah, because my dad wanted, it was like, oh, this is a great movie. He probably, you know, saw it in the 60s and... But those little vi- those little video shops, there was something magical about those. Where, when when you started to get the big stores like the the blockbusters, they didn't have that that magic to them. It it was almost like it was a bit too corporate. But there's the little ones like you're on about. You'd mm-hmm. go into them, and it was like, yeah, it was like like magic. Where the, it it would be just like a couple of people there where they owned it, and you'd go in there, and it'd be a really small space, but you'd have all these thousands of like boxes and you'd be looking at all these um these shelves where the boxes were where you could just see the titles along the side or sometimes if they really wanted to um uh where they were where they had a real big display on something or other you'd, you'd have like the front covers of them out yeah. and uh, there was always something special about the front covers of videos where you'd look at them and nine out of ten times those covers would have nothing at all to do with the actual film itself. You'd not even see anything like that in the film. Right. Yeah, I can still yeah. see the cover of Breaker Morant, and I can still see the cover of SOB, and I haven't seen either of those films, but I can still see it explicitly on the cover of that cardboard box. And and there was something magic about those tapes for the longest time. Now, you know, you take them for granted, but like, I mean, the first film, we when we got a Betamax, the first first thing i got was a betamax because it was cheaper and it's what we could afford and then i went to the video store that friday and everything was rented because they didn't have many beta tapes so everything was rented out except for um, mommy dearest so i rented mommy dearest i didn't want to watch mommy dearest but i rented it because it was the only thing there and i wanted to take a movie home and put a movie and i watched it like four or five times that weekend and now i i hear nowadays people make fun of that movie as being campy and you know it's like a it's like a, a camp heroically camp film and I just remember it being a movie that I could watch on my TV and it was it was was a dark film and really troubling but it was but it was I could watch a movie on my TV and that was um, at at my leisure and I could pause it and rewind it and stuff it was just it was it was cool I don't know how to describe it it was magic yeah that's really interesting the in between so you you were with with just television broadcast or you know, movie theaters, right? Yeah. You were beholden to what the schedule was, right? And then the idea of the VCR was supposedly this 
this freedom where it was like, oh, you could watch anything you want. You know, you go to the video store, but it was never like that, right? It was like, oh, I want to, I want to see Star Wars, and it's like, oh, it's it's gone. You know, the three people checked out Star Wars, so the three copies, so now you have to watch Mommy Dearest, right? And so that's another thing is that idea of stumbling upon something, you know, not just clearing out, you know, going through all the popular films that you've heard of, and then because you're obsessively going to the video store every day, right, and watching two or three movies a night, right, and then you start scraping and looking around in the corners, but also, yeah, on a, on a weekend when everybody took out the popular films and then you you did it you yeah you sometimes went home with something that you didn't think you would like wouldn't like or if you went with friends you know that was part of it there was a great small video store in my college town too so when I went to university it was that idea where I don't want to watch this movie but everybody else in my group of friends wants to watch it we're all going to rent this together and it's like you'd wind up watching stuff that you would never watch Gosh, that's True. it. I, I, yeah. I, I had never thought of that aspect. That like availability also drove my tastes. Yeah, it's it's a strange thing, really, because then when when it carried on and uh, they went to the DVD and you started to get things out of DVD rental places, you still had that bit where you wouldn't be able to actually get the film sometimes that you wanted, and so you'd end up going and getting a film that you'd never thought of, even getting. But nowadays, because of the, it's, I don't want to sound negative, but it's almost sad in a way because it's there for you at the push of a button now in a way, and you haven't got that there. So people can just go online and they'll go, oh, I'll go on to Disney Plus or Netflix and I'll just get the film that I want to watch and I'll watch it right now. So there's not that, and it's almost a shame in a way that you've, that you've not got that, uh, element of surprise that you had going to a going to a video rental store and just um you know watching a film that you'd not thought about watching initially before we started recording i was saying to jim that we've been to the cinema before and done something called screen unseen which is where you go to the cinema and you have no idea what the film is that you're going to see <laughs> they'll give you three oh, clues and you'll either guess what the film is that you're going to watch or you've got no idea whatever the film is then you've got no uh, predisposed opinion of of the film because it's just there just the same as when you go to a video store and come out with a film that you didn't know you were going to come out with oh that's great I was wondering if they locked the doors or if you, could, <laughs> if you didn't like the movie they let you out you have to stay yeah they put chains on the doors and everything Jim <laughs> There's a theater in my town that showed um, there were three Harry Fowles and films on a Sunday afternoon, but they wouldn't tell you what three. So you'd buy a ticket and you're you're signing up for, I guess four and a half hours of Harry Fowles and films, and you just didn't know which which ones they were. And that could be a really rough afternoon if they didn't make the right picks. But uh, but you uh, know at least you're getting like four and a half hours of stop motion animation. Well, you're probably getting 30 minutes of stop stop motion motion with all the, that's right, with all the other stuff. I forgot those films are always, yeah, it's just like B-list or C-list actors surrounded by a few special effects scenes that took them years to make, yeah. Yeah, I think it was like Jason and the Argonauts, King Kong, and uh, Clash of the Titans, so not a bad, not a bad three-peat or three- film it it wouldn't be king kong because that's not very harry but then i'm showing myself to be a geek i'm sorry 
Oh, Harryhausen was in King Kong? The no, first King Kong? No. Uh, oh. No, that was... I can't this always happens in the show, too. Rick always corrects me. <laughs> he ended up... Um, he wanted to do a remake of King Kong, actually. And he ended up not being able to because they couldn't get the rights, which is why they made... Uh, I think it's called Mighty Joe Young. That's right. That's why they made Mighty that Joe up. Young. Because he couldn't get the rights to do King Kong. <laughs> That's right. So forgot about that. I just found out today that someone had the rights to make a sequel to Easy Rider and actually did make this movie. There is a movie that was... Have you seen it, Chris? No, it was reviewed on How Did This Get Made. Ah, okay. But, uh, it's a, like a legendary bad film. <laughs> yeah. Well, I got to check that out. Or it was... It was mentioned on How This Get Made. It was either on Unspooled or How This Get Made. They talked about that film. I think it's terrible from what I hear. <laughs> so I have to watch it. So what sort of research do you do for the, uh, for the show before recording? <laughs> Chris does the research, right? <laughs> well, we have two types of shows, Marv. We've got the main episodes, which are... Um, pretty straightforward that that's where we would all get together and we each we each picked four films because we were going to do 12 films in the series and so we just and then we trade off on whose film it was that month and essentially that is um the person who picked the film probably does a, a good amount of research uh, we do some you know we do some research for each other's films and we watch the film and then review it and talk about what we learned for the in-between episodes, because my brother-in-law said, if you're going to do a film podcast, you have to do in-between episodes where you announce what the film is. So for those episodes, we kind of write down what we've, uh, what we've watched, and we talk that through, and then I'll try and write some bits for those episodes, and then maybe 20% of the bits that I write make it into the final cut. I do a lot of trial and error with the scripted stuff. Okay, so it's Chris then that writes the script, is it? He basically writes a working script and a, and a structure for each episode and then everybody follows his lead, is it? <laughs> no, it's more like <laughs> I come up with a trivia game and we all play. Or I come up with questions. Ask, I ask some hard-hitting questions of, of Jim and Rick. I'll, I'll script I'm those beforehand. manipulated because you do very well, Chris, in making it seem natural. And I didn't realize how much of it was scripted, which also indicates how much preparation I do for the show, which is I'll watch the movie and I'll watch other movies and then I'll just rely on the random trivia that I've crammed into my head, which could be wrong. I, I'm, I'm entirely, it's entirely possible that everything I say is incorrect, but I say it with authority because I'm a college professor. <laughs> yeah, I don't do enough research. Because it is, yeah, it always impresses me when Chris shows up. He's he's done his homework and he's he's got stuff to talk about. And well, Rick does too. Rick can wing it, and I I realize I can't wing it. And I do try and come up, think about it, like okay, I can talk about this or this. And but Chris always jokes about being dumb and stuff. You know, that's his whole. <laughs> it's all a it's all an act. You know, him he and uh, Rick are very good at. Uh, you know, they they are, uh, think about you know they they can uh, pontificate. You know they can just go off and start you know 
uh, see, I can't even do it now. I'm just like, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> and pontificate is a, a nice word for bullshit. I think, right? Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, you guys can, uh, uh, pick up on things, you know, a lot of times, you know, like, uh, you just, uh, are much more analytical. You definitely are good at just watching something and like picking up on things. And I, I just, I'm just kind of like drifting along. <laughs> well, that might be our weakness. I mean, the, the, uh, could, because you, like you just described film for you is a visceral experience. And I, I actually kind of love it when I do like that. When I, when a film is just, I know a film is flawed but I enjoyed it anyway. You know, I was just like, it was just great. You know, I just, I don't care how it ended. The script issues didn't bother me. I just enjoyed the film. And, and to the point of me not, not being so smart, I have to script all my analytical stuff because I have to read. I'm like the guy who needs a teleprompter in broadcast news. Um, whereas Rick can just do all that stuff off the top of your head. Jim, your role is to just pull the craziest, most obscure stuff out of your head. Like we should ask Marv, have you heard of Children of the Stones, Marv? Do you know what that show is? I've heard you mention it on your show, but I have no idea what it is. No. <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh, I guess it came up with, uh, the, was it the first episode? Was it yeah. Wicker Man? We, we watched Wicker, Wicker Man. Man. and Yes, you did. Yes. Yep. Um, yep. So I just was talking about this show. I Well, Rick and I as ch- children, this is all in the episode, but we... Uh, went to the UK in about 1980 on a family vacation and we stayed at uh, uh, Avebury which is this little town and has a stone circle and uh, it's around Stonehenge but it's got a like a a ditch and bank you know and stone circles and we stayed in the little town like in a bed and breakfast there and it was great and you know I was about 11 it's this really cool you know, incredible place. And, uh, then if maybe 10 or 15 years ago, I came across this British TV show, children's show called children of the stones. And it was from, it was filmed about maybe two years before Rick and I had been there as kids. And it was just really cool to see this little village that we stayed at. And it was like just a few years before. And it's all about, uh, yeah, this, it's kind of druidic, cult you know the people the villagers who live there it's kind of like wicker man but uh it's yeah it's a and from what i gather it's it it was just a a show that was on one summer like in 1978 or 79 and kids you know who watched it that summer were kind of uh not scarred but just remember it it was kind of an intense (laughs) show and I've heard references to it after, since I discovered it. I found, you know, there was there was like a BBC radio documentary I listened to about about it, and but it was just this kind of intense kids show, and people who saw it were kids, and that that summer really remember it or it really resonated. But so. you should ask your parents, Marv. They probably I, watched it. I I should know that because I mean, you know, being born in 1970, I should know that. And being mm-hmm. British, I should know that, but I probably <laughs> spent too much time watching Space 1999 while you were watching that one. Or yeah. something. <laughs> I've watched a couple episodes of that recently, Space 1999. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we had that over, the, I think it was showing in the U.S. at the same time. That was that was definitely a uh, one of the few examples of a British-U.S. production that was on simultaneously 
Yeah. Yeah. Because that's definitely my, I have a childhood. I had a, I had a model of the ship. Oh, the Eagle. Yes. Eagle one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's called. Yeah. 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 yeah, those were awesome. I remember friends had those, and I'd go over just to like look at the spaceship. It was cool. <laughs> yes, definitely. Well, my childhood was made up from from that, and probably, you know, watching Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. Uh, any moments that stand out from your show? Yeah, I mean, uh, we had my, uh, we've had one, we've had two guests. Both of them I'm related to in some way. One, one by blood. My son came on. Uh, when we reviewed uh, the Blues Brothers. So for me, that was a standout moment to have him on. Um, and then I had my brother-in-law on, who I, I hold in, in great regard. So in, And he holds these two guys in great regard. So it was fun to... Uh, and he's an actual actor, and he's he's been acting, a Hollywood actor, working Hollywood actor for 18 years now um, and knows lots of famous people has a has a well-known podcast of his own and it was fun for me to watch how much he holds Rick and Jim in such high regard because he loves their band and looks up to them um, and uh, knows how much I hold them with such reverence and the fact that he did a tremendous amount of research to come on the show and really wanted to show well and was nervous before he came on and afterwards was asking did he do okay do, the, do, do I think Rick and Jim thought he did a good job and uh, I was like you know Michael we just we just get together and hang out uh, you, you 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 know did it all he, he really overplayed uh, what he would have had to have done to to do a great job on the show and so that I thought that was fun and heartwarming he actually made us feel inadequate because he was so well well prepared. So I guess maybe he did. It was a problem. Yeah, it was a problem. <laughs> it's a wonderful conversation, but it was like, wow, this guy's really prepared. Maybe, maybe I need to be more prepared. Nah, nah, we don't want to. We don't want to be over prepared. We'll just have to have him back on. If we feel like the show is dipping in preparation, we'll just have to have him back on. Marv, did you get a chance to listen to the shows at all? Does it, was there anything you enjoyed about them? Um, yeah, I, I particularly liked that look that you had with uh, when you were talking about um, the. Uh, it was almost like analysing Blues Brothers because when when you were talking about that, I listened to that. I've, I've listened to all the episodes. The the Wicker Man one that that made me laugh when you pointed out the obvious fact that. That's definitely not Brit uh, Brit Eklund doing the dancing, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, yeah. least said about that the better, I think. Um, but uh, I'm trying to think what else stands out to me. I, I just like the fact that you're approaching it by looking at films that, like I said earlier, where people wouldn't know about them otherwise. I think that's the main thing that I take from it, and uh, and the fact that your conversations just just flow it, it's not like there's any it's not like chris is doing any scripting at all <laughs> chris is doing a lot of editing though to be fair so that's that's again um testament to the amount of work that chris does because yeah. i i know because i've done audio editing and and do a lot of audio editing actually currently um of myself talking uh and and it's it's a thankless job and chris is so that's that's again chris cuts down the shows so that's yeah he really great to hear yeah, that it sounds like it flows lots of work so, so so how do you do uh that editing then chris 
Um, I'll do it. So we'll all tape. Um, what? It's funny because the shows that are taped in the past, we all taped it together, and then Rick would just send me the files, and I'd load them into Pro Tools, add the music, and all that kind of stuff, and uh, and I throw uh, Pro Tools into shuffle mode, and in shuffle mode, any group tracks uh, you can select and delete, and they will all shift left. So it's pretty easy to cut out gaps and cut out gaps in the conversation, cut out sections of the conversation. And um, I've started to notice, after I edited all the main episodes, I started to notice patterns in the way that each of us converse. As an example, Rick will make a really great point, really salient point, sometimes in in a a very short statement. And then he may spend the next five minutes sort of expounding on it. And I'll ask myself, (laughs) was, was was him expounding on it? better than the short statement. Sometimes I'll cut the short statement and because I want to hear the, the academic explanation behind the point. And sometimes I'm like, nope, it's not necessary. We can save ourselves three minutes and just go with that awesome, brilliant statement. So it's always about making the people in the podcast look good. I cut out a lot of the stupid stuff I say, so I, I probably look a lot better than I truly am in the conversation. Um, I try the, the, my, the, the most fun is to see if I can get an equal amount of speaking time between me, Rick, and Jim. As you can tell, there'll be an imbalance on this episode unless you edit it the same way. But um, what I like to do is edit Jim's parts, see how much time that is, and then see if I can get Rick and I down to the same amount of time. So it's a it's balanced. And I last two um, rewind episodes, I've been able to do that. I was pretty proud of that accomplishment. That's good. Uh I'm going to pass you on to my other half, who's going to have a just have a natter with you, if that's okay. Yeah, sure, that's fine. Did he say have a natter? What did he say? What was that word? Yeah, natter. <laughs> natter. <laughs> like that's like chat. It's not like a nutter butter. Well, those are. It's like a cookie. No, it's like it's like <laughs> to, you know, sort of chit chit chat. <laughs> Um, I'm trying to embarrass Rick and Jim by being the ugly American in the in the conversation. Sorry, <laughs> I'll drop the bit. Um, are there um, any films that you think should never be remade, like you know classics or whatever? Mm. I would make the bold statement that no movie should be remade, <laughs> um, unless. Yeah, I, I very rarely... Chris seems to love remakes, but... They've got to be I, really good, though, haven't they? Yeah, they really have to be good. Yeah. I'm trying to think of a remake that's better than the original. All right, Not now you've yet, done it. So <laughs> so I would say that Rick loves remakes, and and uh, this is why, and I was going to save this for our next episode, but this is... You just you just unearthed an exclusive for uh, pods like us. All right. <laughs> I recently watched the movie The Last Man on Earth. Right. And then I watched its remake, which I know Rick is a huge fan of. Or, and I'm even a huge fan of, but he's Omega a fan. Man. Omega Man. Right. So would you, Rick, do you think Omega Man should have never have been made in lieu of The Last Man on Earth? Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Omega Man is better than Last Man on Earth. You're correct. But is um, I Am Legend better than Omega Man? No, I Am Legend's terrible. Okay. I, th- I think I've opened a can of worms here. <laughs> <laughs> that's good, right? That's, that's yeah, what it, what, and who are we t- speaking again. with? Louise. Hi, Louise. Hi. What movie would you not want remade? Um, 
Well, I'm a bit of a sucker for sort of old romantic films. I like things like Brief Encounter. Hmm. Um, I'm not sure that should ever be remade. Uh-huh. It happened one night. Oh, that it happened. Yeah, I like I old d- films. It, like uh, it happened one night with Clark Gable. Uh, I think me and Martin were talking about this a while ago. We were saying about some films that should never be remade, but I can't think of any offhand. It's a Wonderful Life should never be remade. Oh yes, I love that. It's funny because the first time I ever saw that, um, I didn't like it very much. And um, it comes out every year now. We've got uh, lots of Christmas DVDs and we've got like, you know, Christmas film staples that come Mm. out every, we get them out every year and watch them every Christmas. Like um, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. (laughs) And um, A Christmas Carol, which came out the year we were born. So I've been watching that same film probably every year uh, since it came out. Santa Claus Conquers the Martians. Uh, <laughs> but, um, what about A Christmas Story? Have you ever seen that? That's no, Christmas. Yeah. Or, yeah, Christmas Carol. Oh, yeah. Then, uh, so, yeah, what, what were you going to ask, Chris? I was going to say, I thought A Christmas Carol was remade. Um, there's several, there's quite a lot of versions of it. Yeah. 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 Some better than others. Uh, but I was going to say, yes. like, Rick, A Christmas Story, That's that's the one... Christmas movie that that has become a you know how they do that like you're saying with the uh, uh, they just keep showing them which one's that was it, it, it called a Christmas a Christmas story a Christmas it's story. the kid in it's a autobiographical I've got a copy it's of that saved on eBay to buy um, oh Marty says he's got a copy of it on eBay to buy huh? yeah. <laughs> yeah so we'll, we'll look into that one. That's like, yeah, that's become a tradition that they show on TV. And it, it's, yeah, it's one I, I can watch again and again. And it, it's like a 1940s kid. Or it's like, like my parents loved it because it was their childhood. They, they grew up in the 40s and early 50s. And it's, it's just about being a kid and 19, <laughs> around Christmas. But it, it's just, it's very well done and very funny. Sounds nice. And actually, yeah. the guy, you know, Gene Shepard, who wrote it, and it's he narrates it, you know, was a well-known, well, in the, what, 50s and 60s, right? He was a pretty cutting-edge radio DJ. He would mm-hmm. do these late-night shows where he would just talk and tell stories, but in, in a very sort of non-linear, more kind of, not quite jazzy way, not like Ken Nordine, but yeah. So it's it's that idea of storytelling, but kind of translated into late night radio broadcast. And then that film is kind of, I think, based off mm. of, you know, stories he used to tell. Right. Well, he was also a writer, but yeah, yeah, it's really interesting. Yeah. Are there any films that you watch that you never get tired of watching? Actually, yeah, I, this gives me the opportunity to take up an issue I have with one of Marv's guests. Um, I was listening to, which one was it? Oh, where are you? Oh, it was the, it was in, no. Oh yeah, it was in the chat one episode. Oh, no, the real blend. It was in the real blend episode where, uh, your host said that Endgame was now his favorite film over Die Hard. Yeah. I mean, first of all. 
saying Endgame's your favorite film, that's a stretch. Now, Die Hard, I'm okay with. And I'll watch Die Hard to answer the question every Christmas. That's a, that's a tremendous Christmas movie. But ranking Endgame above it, yeah, ranking, ranking Endgame above that film, that's, that's a crime. Can't do it. <laughs> Is that Avengers Endgame? Is that what you're yeah, talking about? Yeah, Avengers Endgame. He said it was better than oh, Die Hard. Okay. Yep, that's the one. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Rick's leaving. He's so upset. <laughs> yeah, I may have to go. That's the oh, kind dear. of stuff that upsets me. Because, you know, Die Hard's okay. But those Avengers movies drive me crazy. So, yeah, that's the thing. is, uh, um, Since I have kids, I'm kind of have been trapped in a situation where I have to see every Marvel movie and I well actually now I don't I didn't go see I can't remember what movie I didn't see but it's like now uh, I at least can say no I'm not going to see another punch punch explosion movie you know and so that's that's the opposite of the question you asked though so that's that's a movie I don't ever need to see again as a superhero movie what would you watch over and over Rick I go back to What's Up Doc, and it's, I don't think it's the best movie, but I, I, I don't know, something about it, it just makes me laugh, and it's made me laugh since I was a little kid, and so there's something special about it, but I think it is, kind of goes back to that idea of remakes, where instead of doing a remake of Bringing Up Baby, they kind of stole stuff from it and stole stuff from that era of filmmaking, but updated it into the 1970s, and so I think that's why I don't like remakes is I think you can do something original or maybe not original, but you can update something without having to just duplicate it or having the responsibility and the, the baggage of the original film. And so yeah, making a movie that's like brief encounter, but updated to the present day would be much better, right? Than trying to remake saying I'm going to do a remake of brief encounter. Right. And so that's, that to me is at least if you're going to, be inspired by something do that rather than just simply remake stuff because i think that's a commercial consideration same with sequels right it's it that's more commercial thing it's like oh this is something that the parents remember so we'll do a remake so they bring their kids to it right or everybody went to see this avengers movie we'll make another one you know because they know what they're getting and that removes that joy of going to the theater and seeing something that you you don't know what to expect but it's the same when they make a sequel and the sequel has nothing at all to do with any of the other films that have come before. It's almost like it's a brand spanking new film, but do you know what? We'll call it The Howling 3 because people are going to see The Howling 1 and 2, so we'll put them to go and go and watch that, even though the third film's got nothing at all to do with either of the two films. Yeah, Halloween 3. And that's I kind of okay. like that. I, Halloween 3, yeah. Yeah, which is a completely different storyline right it's like some kind of mind control horror movie has nothing to do with the other halloween movies yeah but i love i love that idea in some ways that to me just because i'm i don't know just an angry person i want want people to be you know be tricked into going seeing a a third third installment of a movie and not getting what they wanted getting that (laughs) horrible surprise but unfortunately usually it's a bad movie right because it's also a sequel That'd be a bit like going to see a new Impossible Mission film and finding out it's a romantic comedy. <laughs> well, there's romance in those films. That's Great. brilliant. Yeah, that would be that would be genius. Yeah, yeah. That's that's the, that's why we're not uh, making films in Hollywood. <laughs> yeah, 
the impossible the impossible mission is that uh, Tom Cruise has got to stay in a relationship for longer than <laughs> ten minutes with the person without them being killed by right. the uh, people that are going after him. Right. <laughs> so, what software do you use then to edit the show with, and how do you record the show then, uh, Chris? Oh, yeah. So for the we talked about the main episodes, the uh, the the rewinds. I record on Pro Tools. Jim, you record on some looping software. Is yeah. that right? <laughs> I just it's like DJing. Ableton. Ableton. Oh yeah. And then Rick, what do you use? I've got this uh, standalone podcasting box. Oh, that's right. Yeah, the box. Rick's professional. He's been doing it for years. Right, right. They send me their files what through FileShare, and then I just pull them into Pro Tools. Okay. So do, do you do a recording of the whole show with all of you together as well, and then you, you, do, you, do you use that as a guide to then base all the rest of it around? Yeah. yeah, as part of Rick's recorder, he's got a track that has all of us on it, and I use that to line up the other tracks. But what happened was is we spent all last year recording episodes, and then the lockdown happened. And so the plan was is to record 12 episodes, 12 movies, and then um, what happened, we had the lockdown, and then we started releasing episodes, and we haven't recorded all the episodes that have come out that are about a specific movie were all recorded last year. Okay. Or did we do one in January of this year before lockdown? I can't remember. But um and so I don't then, think so. then since then, yeah, since then we've been doing um remote calls and recording when we do the in between stuff, but we're getting close to running out of the original what I think we did eight yeah. based around the movies in person yeah. where we sat and watched go. the movie. Yeah, so we watched watched the movie together and then recorded afterwards. And those are all in the can, or eight of them are in the can. Is that right? Yeah. Yep. Eight yeah. in the can. But we're going to need to figure out what to do for those last four because we haven't recorded well, Pfizer. person since Pfizer. That's right. We've got a vaccine coming. That's a bit like my first nine episodes of this were actually all recorded towards the tail end of uh, September. And mm -hmm. um, I'm only just now starting to catch up with... Well, I'm lagging behind now. I'm, yeah. yeah. So get my foot down and get some more recorded. But um, it's a complex timeline, so you'll have an episode that was recorded... Like, so for instance, the President's Analyst episode that just came out okay. was recorded... A year ago but then our the conversation we had the episode before in you know just talking about how we were going to release the president's analyst episode was recorded a couple of weeks ago so it it bounces back and forth between these rewind episodes where we talk in the present day <laughs> and then all of the film episodes where we recorded a year ago. So yeah, it's 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 very confusing. It's like a uh, it's like Tenet or uh, Interstellar. Yeah, it's funny that because I, you, you you made me laugh because you were, you were talking about you were you were saying that how does this new numbering system work with the episodes? <laughs> and you made me laugh with that when you were saying that. Yeah, yeah, only Chris. It's a mess. Chris is—he's the one. Yeah, I, I, 
he's the only one who understands it. And all the, I didn't even catch on the little symbols. His brilliant, his little fast forward and rewind symbols are in the titles too. That's Chris's expertise. Is you know, what would what what do you call it? It's not project management. It's uh, it's bigger than that, right, Chris? Portfolio management. <laughs> yeah. Right, but I I feel you're a uh, yeah you're a big picture structural guy, and so the numbering system has got to make sense. It's just us us the the well, people working on the you know on on the first floor. You know, the penthouse guys, they understand the numbering system, right? <laughs> That's me, yeah. the penthouse guy. Well, the interesting thing is the President's Analyst episode was recorded on my 49th birthday, and then the preface to the President's Analyst episode was recorded a week before my 50, or no, four days before my 50th birthday. So, and then when you listen to them, when you listen to the, the preface and then the president's analyst episode there's all these crazy coincidences that are personal and then are also global so like we talk a lot about james bond and then then like um sean connery died and it was like i think we talked about james bond in both the preface a year or sorry the both the president's analyst episode a year ago and then um and then in the preface as well and then of course the president's analyst came out serendipitously right around the u.s uh presidential election it was not planned to be that way just the timing of it just kind of hit that way and so there's all these like eddie van halen oh, go ahead. we were talking about eddie van halen right a year ago and you're talking about uh, all that stuff and it just yeah and then he died whatever last month or something in that that's just a coincidence it's it's very confused yeah i get confused too about what what we talked about when and that's <laughs> fun yeah i think it's good it's like it's like a literary it's like a novel it's like some kind of you know you just got to listen to it and it's like there's flashbacks and oh wait they're, they're talking about going to see movies in theaters that came out a year ago and I, yeah i think if you listen to it people grasp it that's part of the fun it's but i don't think it was totally it was an intentional we we were expecting to put these out you know maybe five or six months at the most, but it became, yeah, it was like it, they're a year after they've been recorded, they're released. So, well, I think that's that's what's funny. That's maybe a standout is just listening to that president's analyst episode. I listened to it the other day, and I forgot to wish you happy birthday, Chris. After I listened to it, I was like, oh, he missed his birthday again. Um, but that idea where that's at the point in that episode where I start getting frustrated that. Um, we've recorded a huge number of episodes and they could come out years later and I have no idea what the timeline is even when a year ago when we were recording it. And then I think that's what makes it that episode especially funny is because a lot of what we're talking about and how the time confusion really starts becoming a theme of, of the show. And then, yeah, you get those echoes that Chris is talking about where things start making connections that we didn't even intend but maybe Chris did because obviously he's being he's scripting the shows, <laughs> he's kind of guiding us on what to talk about without us even realizing it. Well, all the echoes and the reverse echoes, like there was a reverse echo in, and I forget what it was, but like we referenced in the preface, we referenced something that we said in the next episode as if it happened in the past, which of course <laughs> it did. Um, but uh, but all of that's accidental. I don't. I'm, I'm not trying. I didn't know Sean Connery was going to die, and I didn't plan to 
Bond though. To bring up James Bond. We need somebody who understands uh, everything about Lost to be able to work out what all <laughs> this is all about. I think. Well, yeah, I think that's, that's so. Analogy. That's what happened. I think that was the problem with Lost, right? Is that they didn't really know where they were going. They were kind of freeforming it, and so you can kind of get away with stuff up to a point, right? And things start stitching together, anyways, and that can be a very dangerous thing for someone who's making a narrative production right because it's like oh we'll just work it out next season or the other writers the new writers that come in next year we'll just have to fix it we'll just throw this stuff in here right whereas what we're doing is improvising right so and so yeah that can be it can lull you into a false sense of security that you don't need to plan or have a narrative or anything like that but luckily we're doing a podcast and not uh, creating a multi-million dollar television show it's a good job There's because I'm time. recording a show for season two in two days and then I'm recording a show for season one the week after. So <laughs> yeah. Yes, very strange. Uh, so have you all got a favourite film individually? And have you got a favourite film that you'd pick from the films that you've done for the show? I'm, I'm more interested in the challenges if we can collectively decide the three of us of what our favourite film is that we all three agree on. But that would be much more difficult and would take a whole a whole another hour or two to work out. Oh, yeah, my God. Can you imagine? Like, it, we'd pick the highest ranked film that we, like, we would each. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I don't this know. This is where Chris, I don't know if Chris it is already locking into his, his organizational skills. He's already figuring out the strategy on how to actually come up with the, the favorite film collectively of all three of us. It's Electric Glide and Blue, right? <laughs> I think that would be it. I mean, if you have to have to pick, oh, or it's that uh, Winnipeg film. What was uh, it? My, What's that one called? My Winnipeg. My Winnipeg. <laughs> so it's either My Winnipeg or Electric Glide and Blue. Otherwise, there's no Venn diagram. That, I don't know. Has Rick? That's the only two places. Have, have, has Rick seen My Winnipeg? I don't know if I've seen My Winnipeg. I've definitely seen. Which one is that? It's the semi. It's kind of autobiographical about his growing up in Winnipeg. It, it's Guy Madden. That's in. Here and now, I yeah, I have to say Guy Madden is my favorite director, so any Guy Madden film is my favorite movie right now. For I don't know about all time, but I love Guy Madden movies, and yeah, like My Winnipeg and The Forbidden Room was one of his a few years, about four years ago, I think it came out, and I love that movie. That's amazing. So right now, I'd say that's my favorite movie. But of all time, I don't know, it's like, I like uh, The Big Lebowski. That's a movie I could watch again and again. And there's like uh, Local Hero. I love mm-hmm. Local Hero. That's kind of a movie I could I could always watch. And I, I've, I've seen it a lot. And I, I could just watch that out. You know, that's, that's a favorite. What about the ones we've watched, Jim? What, what was your favorite? Mm. I don't know. Like... Uh, Trying to think what uh, what movies did we watch? <laughs> well, like the ones that I picked, I guess there might I would have it would be one of the ones I was probably my favorite. But I think, well, I don't know. I should have I should have asked I should have asked actually which is the favorite that you've watched that somebody else suggested that's right. not you. Yeah, that's uh, a good that might be go. a better way to go. Yeah, 
my mine is both my favorite that we've watched and that somebody else picked. I like that New Zealand uh, uh, The Quiet Earth apocalyptic film. Yeah. yeah. Which that was yeah, great. It hasn't come out yet, right? That's a I think that's the right. last episode we recorded. So yeah, we watched The Quiet Earth. That was one of my picks. And um And then What's Up Doc was fantastic too. I like those two movies. Yeah, that that would be my pick of one that I didn't pick is What's Up Doc rick picked I, yeah that's a great movie and i'm trying to remember see this is my problem is i'm starting my memory's starting to get fuzzy so i'm and it was a year ago that we watched all these so um i, I have a list right here it's the film with burt reynolds in it was called sharky's machine yes yeah, yeah. i'm trying to place the <laughs> yeah come on you got to admit you like that film <laughs> I, I i enjoyed watching it i i i think i've seen other burt reynolds movies that i've liked more yeah. Stroke at Ace. Yeah. Stroke at Ace. <laughs> yeah, I, you know, I'm realizing I have not seen that many Burt Reynolds movies. Have you watched The Wicker Man? Run, uh, Runaway Train? What's Up Doc? Sharky's Machine? Oh. Mountains of the yeah, Moon? Runaway. Present. Runaway Train I'm, is a movie I love. <laughs> I think even it's a though... It, and Yeah, so, so what I love about Runaway Train is it's not a great movie, but it, I enjoy it every time I watch it, and I enjoy watching the acting. And I think... That's yeah. Did I pick that? I didn't pick Runaway Train. No, Jim, that was, you picked that, that right? Great. Yeah, Jim did. Yeah, yeah. but that's and, a great movie, right? Why is that not a great movie? If you like, I, I think that's that's where I think that the where the true difference in our tastes is is that I don't know. I mean, I think you have um, objective rules for whether or not a film is great, whereas I give things a lot of free passes if they sort of push a certain button yeah yeah i think there's 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 quality issues in runaway train but that doesn't mean yeah so i i want a movie to be both entertaining i want to be able to watch it multiple times but i also want it to be um uh sort of the peak of filmmaking also right and i don't think runaway train is that i think it's it's an example of a bunch of really interesting pieces that somehow don't completely stitch together. And that's why it's fascinating to me is because I like, I like watching movies that don't completely work also. And that's, that's where it gets into the analytical thing. So I, I think that's, that's the issue is that in some ways kind of like with music and it's happened with me with film, maybe less so is that I'm, I'm too inside it now and too overly analytical. And it's hard for me to sometimes just sit there and enjoy a film. That's what theaters are for. That's that's part of it too. Is as we talk about this VCR kind of era, and then the current era we're in, that idea of pausing, that idea of being able to choose, and everything like that. That's I still love the experience of being in a theater and seeing a film, and I hope enough people still enjoy that experience in the next couple of years, so that those experiences still exist. Um, and so that's the way I get lost is when I'm in a theater. I think part of the downside of VHS cassettes streaming is, is that you the rest of the world is competing with what you're looking at. Right. And I, I really like a cinema experience. I, I should, I need to do a better job of making a cinema experience in my house, but got lots of other things i have to repair before i build a theater in my home 
I, th I think that's what makes the makes your show interesting, though, is that you all three are different in the way that you look at films, and I think that's what makes the show interesting, is because you will. That's that's how the show comes across, is because one will look at it one way, one will look at it like yourself, Rick. You look at it analytically, and then Chris will look at it another way. So, but that's what makes the show is because you're all looking at it from a different angle each. It's interesting. I sometimes I feel bad. Yeah, I am too. I, I feel bad when we don't agree. But I was like, oh, that probably makes for a better show. So that's fine. <laughs> sure, yeah. definitely. At least gives me an opportunity to be mean to you, Chris, <laughs> in the most loving way possible. <laughs> I've made the point. It's a it's a part of fr giving each other shit is a part of friendship. As you know, as long as it's not mean spirited. That's right. As long as you don't cry yourself to sleep at night after an episode. <laughs> not yet. I cry a lot, but not because of things you said to me on the show. No. Oh, that means I got a lot of, a lot of leeway to, to be even crueler to you. <laughs> I have my own ways of being cruel. <laughs> Sorry, Marv. Actually, I think this is a perfect one for you guys. So, have you got any hidden gems of films that you think that people should see that they have not likely heard of? Since I played my hand on Last Man on Earth and Omega Man, I'll talk about the other film I watched that Rick and Jim recommended to me. was, um, and used to be a running gag in their band when they would tour is Soylent Green. And I always thought Soylent Green was like a gag film. I thought that it all sort of the last, and I was like, how could this be a good film? Because I knew the last line or the last sort of reveal. And I just thought, oh, well, that'll this will just be about that last reveal. Well, if you watch Soylent Green, particularly now and what's going on in the world, it's incredibly poignant and it's very disturbing. Um, you know, it's a, it's about class it's about wealth it's about um poverty it's about overpopulation all the things that i i fixate on constantly and the fact that you know people are eating soil and green and what soil and green is um it, it isn't very it, it i didn't play to me as very shocking um and I, it wasn't the crux of the film. The crux of the film were sort of the relationships of the people who had wealth and the people who didn't and how they sort of played each other uh, to try and survive. And, you know, those scenes of scooping up people into garbage trucks with huge metal scoops. I was just even fascinated how good the stunt work was because they were just scooping up human beings. Um but that film, I don't know if it's considered a, a rare film or an unknown film, but if it is, I think it's one that everybody should watch, particularly now, and they should never remake that film. There's no need to. It's 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 near perfect. When you just mentioned that uh, that sequence from Soylent Green, it's it's actually what came to mind when I saw that footage at uh, at New York with those with those those bodies actually recently with the COVID. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the freezer trucks and everything. Yeah, that was, and, yeah. That was, oh yeah, and the di yeah. the the ditch. Yes, absolutely. Oh, yeah, it's terrible. It was, it was yeah. horrific to see that. Was yeah. yeah, yeah. 
what what about yourself rick have you got any films that you think people should see that are gems that they've unlikely to have heard of i need to i need to think more chris got me thinking about soylent green and i wasn't using that time to <laughs> scratch scrape through my memory bank to try to come up with something cool i've got one i've got that's uh, how i torment good. rick i distract him <laughs> sorry go ahead jim i've got uh, a letter never sent i saw a couple of years ago which is like a russian movie from about 1960 or 61 it's black and white and it's it it seems almost like an old like the music and the way it looks looks like it could have been made in the 1930s it's a really strange movie but it's it's just about some scientists who go out into Siberia and they're on a you know just an expedition and they just get dropped off in the middle of nowhere and uh all kind of goes bad and it's them trying to survive in the wilderness and it's you know it's very basic man against nature story but it's just a gorgeous movie it's a little heavy hand you know it's kind of it's very soviet and it's borders on propaganda you know it's very idealistic and uh some of this talking you know some of the dialogue is you know gets a little (laughs) corny but uh, it's just a beautiful, beautifully shot. Just but the cinematography is amazing, and there's like sequences that are shot in uh, infrared film. So it's like, you know, in black and white infrared film makes like all the leaves turn white. And so they're like running through the forest, and it's all white leaves, and it's all really grainy. Like infrared film gets really grainy, and it, it's just this. I've never seen another movie with a these long infrared sequences you know it's like a it must have been difficult to film but it's it was just once i realized i've shot infrared film like in still photography you know in the past and but i'd never seen movie film much infrared movie film and this this is the only one i can think of that has that and it's amazing and just the regular normal black and white photography is great in it also so wow i'm surprised that people haven't actually used infrared more in say horror films because that'd be perfect that would like a dark night sequence a bit like um uh they could have done a bit like they did with um oh what was it uh science of the lambs where he turned the dark where he turned the lights off that would have been that where the where you could see it in night vision right you knew that clarice that Clarice mm. couldn't actually see, and uh, yeah, you could have a long sequence in a in a horror film where it's all pitch black, and you're looking at it in in infrared. That would be interesting. That like you know, it, it makes yeah. I know there's from, there's some well from shooting infrared film like photography when I just still photography. It makes people's eyes look really strange. Like I, I tried to shoot some with our band, like some promo photos we did, and this was. 25 years ago and they're not flattering they're just like it turns your eyes black you know everybody's irises are black and it just looks it's fine you know it's a effect it's interesting and but it it is yeah it's 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 an inch it's a beautiful yeah those sequences in this movie are amazing but it's broad daylight so it's not 
Okay. It's just the the look of it. It just yeah, it makes any any uh, plant turns white. It's a, something. It's like they reflect more infrared light or something. So the leaves are all very like white and glowing, and it, yeah, it has this kind of glowy look to it, and and uh, really grainy. But yeah, it's a it's a really interesting, just gorgeous movie. Let's see if we've given Rick enough time to think of a film now. <laughs> that did remind me when you talked about Silence of the Lambs is how much I like. Uh, so Silence of the Lambs, I'm not a huge fan of just because I love Jonathan Demme's earlier films. And so Something Wild is a film I just rewatched a while ago. I absolutely love that. And I think that's the problem with Silence of the Lambs is it's missing the really wackiness, like in a positive way of earlier Jonathan Demme movies. But um, I came up with something. It's, this is a film noir that I, I love and is not, a, again, it's not double indemnity. It's not, it's Where Danger Lives with Rod, Robert Mitchum and then Faith Domerge, I think is how you say her name, who's was kind of a, a minor star um, directed by uh, John Farrow, which was Mia Farrow's father and Maureen O'Sullivan, Mia Farrow's mother, is actually in it too. Uh, but uh, Robert Mitchum is... Uh, gets um, involved with this mysterious young woman, and then uh, oh, and Claude Rains is also in it. Uh, and uh, but he, uh, they're on the run after a murder, and Robert Mitchum has sustained a head injury, so he's getting, he's kind of dopey, and she's manipulating him, and so it's it's like a classic film noir where you have the uh, Black Widow, right? The the, the woman manipulating the man, but you can kind of see it, and the guy doesn't understand it because he's he's has a head injury, and so so it's and there are a few very strange scenes like a town where if you don't have a beard, um, there's there's they're like doing some they're the town everyone has to every man has to have a beard in the town for some reason I have to watch it again it's really strange weird moments in it but it's it's like a classic film noir that's a little off but um it has robert mitchum in it which is great and so just watching him and also watching him in kind of helpless in a way because he's cognitively he's starting to lose it his his brain injury is starting to really affect his judgment and the faith domerge is manipulating him and i i feel like that's not something you often see with Robert Mitchum, usually he's he's a tough guy, right? And if, if he's being manipulated, he kind of knows he's being manipulated or is manipulating, you know, it's a co-manipulation or something like that, whereas this is a much more helpless Robert Mitchum, so it's interesting. Was he the battery guy? I dare you to knock this battery <laughs> off my shoulder. <laughs> that's, that's Robert, uh, not Robert Stack, Robert, uh, oh, what's his name? From uh, Wild 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 West. Yeah. Uh, I've forgotten his name too. Robert. I I just watched a Wild 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 West episode a while ago too. Marv, our shows uh, have you ever watched twenty five thousand dollar pyramid, Marv? The game show? No, no, I've never seen that. The, no. Uh it's this it's this show we had in the US where basically one person playing the one there's two people teams. One person knows what the word is, so a word will come up on the screen and say like Robert Mitchum. And then um, the person they're 
looking at doesn't see the word or see the phrase. And so the person who knows it has to just start saying things to the other person until they get, um, it's kind of like charades, but with words until they get the, the term. And that's, that's kind of what our show is like now that our memories are all failing us is all of, we have to start shouting facts that we know about the person until one of us, it triggers something in our brains to remember that it's Robert Stack or Robert, I don't know. Robert Conrad. I looked it up. Is who you were thinking of. Yeah. Robert Mitchum is a little more well-known, I believe. Maybe not. Maybe a lot of people don't know who Robert Mitchum is anymore. He's been dead for what, 30 years, I guess. So maybe not that long. Me me and Rick did the same thing. I just looked on Google as well. (laughs) (laughs) I've taken note of that film, by the way, Rick, because Louise likes uh, Robert Mitchum. Oh, Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, Heaven Knows Mr. Allison and things, films like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He plays a doctor, too, I just realized. I forgot that he's a doctor. So, yeah, Out of the Past. So, there's the classic Out of the Past, right? And so, this is made a few years after that. Okay. What other podcast shows do you listen to yourselves? Um, Chris? Uh, I listen to Radio Zero, one of my favorite podcasts. I listen to uh, Taco the Town. It's a podcast, a comedy podcast about Kansas City tacos uh, that surprisingly has lasted three years because um, it's every episode's hilarious. That's on my list, actually, to, to go to start listening to already. I've been listening to ad- adverts about that on shows that I've been listening to, Taco the Town. Yeah, you should you should have Dave on. He's, he's great. And then um, my brother-in-law's podcast, Bigfoot Collectors Club. Uh, you know, I like it because... Uh, I don't know. I'm not so uh, big on the occult or the supernatural, but uh, I like those dudes, and they do a great job with that show. And then, of course, uh, Pods Like Us. I've I've listened to every episode, and I, I think my favorite moment on Pods Like Us, if I could share it, is um, the out of the blank episode where you, the guy on the episode was saying about he has this unintentional comedy about him. So he was saying that some coworker of his was calling him an idiot or something, thought he was really dumb, and then. He came back to work the next day and she said, you know, there's just that thing you said that was just so funny. I couldn't stop thinking about it. And the series sort of sets himself up as this unintentional comedy guy. And then later on in the episode, he says that Dewey Cox was the best Johnny Cash parody film he's ever seen. (laughs) And I was like, well, how many are there? How many Johnny Cash parody films has he watched? And, you know, but anyway. Yeah. If, if you're listening now, Robbie, uh, can you give us a top five? <laughs> right. Yeah. What a great moment. It is a clear illustration of how he, he can really pluck a gem out of the air without even trying. Yeah. It just, it just flows out of him at the same time. Um, yeah. What about yourself, Rick? Any other shows that you listen to? I've been listening to uh, Roger Deacon's podcast lately. Um in film, in terms of film, the cinematographer, yeah, yeah, yep. yeah, him and his wife while they're in uh, lockdown or quarantine or whatever you want to call it, uh, have been talking to people, and so it's and it's interesting to me because it's not always famous people or well, it is, it's but it's kind of bubbling under. But there's there's an amazing Joel Cohen episode, you know, talking to him, and I don't feel like he does a lot of interviews. 
Um, and so hearing him talk, so they have ins with people that might not necessarily talk to other just sort of mainstream interviewers. There was a great Tim Robbins episode. So Tim Robbins, you know, is, is a famous actor, but I don't, I don't feel like people, I don't hear interviews with him nowadays. Right. And he's still doing work and everything, but like, uh, just like hearing him talk about, um, him thinking of himself as a punk rocker and everything like that and how he wanted to be a theater director and then just hearing his path through his life as an actor and, you know, just knowing a little bit that, you know, he came from sort of a folk music family, I think, I believe, and and all that kind of stuff. So for me as a movie nerd, hearing these uh, off-the-beaten-path kind of stories that are... uh, yeah, it's it's really interesting because I, I do feel like you get overexposed to the mainstream stuff. Like everybody knows the stories about oh, making Apocalypse Now or something like that. But hearing in you know very specific detail how Alan Rickman uh, was the person who saved the film Bob Roberts and actually helped get it financed, where you think Alan Rickman, you know, is is he big? Wow. But he had just come off a of Die Hard, in fact, and it was like, and they said we need somebody big in this movie to make you need some we're not going to finance this movie and tim robbins said he called up alan rickman and said i know you're at this new level but would are you willing to go do this film and he said yes and so those little kind of minor things i love that kind of trivia about filmmaking and so that podcast has been a a gold mine and alan rickman could run circles around james brolin as a as a villain so again this end game argument i'm not having it die hard far better film yeah, you mean josh brolin but yeah james brolin, oh, josh brolin. Cap- i james think i got brolin that before I got, one. I got that one wrong before I could, that's a continual issue i have well what's your what what do you think james brolin could do it you meant i don't josh think brolin. either of them would be, okay. no i think Neither alan rickman and die hard is one of the best villains of all time in film cinema history um, just look at the way when he dives into, he dives into this doorway and maybe it's uh, McTiernan's way of shooting but Alan Rickman jumps into this doorway with this like sort of flare of like it's like he's listening to Bolero like he's Monolete and he shoots a gun in the air and he's like says something like you know get down or everybody's gonna die or something and it, it's the most um, the most flare I've ever seen for a guy trying to be intimidating and it was super intimidating and it was just like, wow, that's a choice that you know not many an actor would make, uh, but it it completely worked. It was really cool. And this may be see- seem like I'm being glib or trying to undermine what you're saying, but I'm thinking back also of Alan Rickman in uh, Galaxy Quest and and the amazing, <laughs> just the ability to play the Shakespearean actor trapped in the science fiction film, and like that moment where he's like he's like brushing his face with the the makeup brush before they go out. I, I, I have a vision of that. It's just the, the way he inhabits that role in a movie that might seem like at the time they were making it like, Oh, like why, why would he even be in the movie? Right. Why would any of those people? So be in the movie and how, how amazing he is in that film <laughs> to me, that's the evidence yeah. of a great actor, right? Is where they can, they can make any role in any film work and they can elevate it. And he definitely, is, I mean, does does taking Alan Rickman's bits out of uh, Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, just leave just have all of his bits all in one, all all just as a film all on their own? Does that make it better than the film as a whole? <laughs> just have the Alan Rickman bits. 
I would have to. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm a, I just make an assumption because I have not seen that film. That's the one with Kevin Costner, right? It is. Yes. <laughs> yeah. So I think I did see. With the how many Kevin Costner? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's got to be a painful movie. Yeah. I don't. I don't watch Kevin Costner films. <laughs> As a rule, um, <laughs> although I did see Waterworld when it came out because, again, I was fascinated by the whole story that of the production of it, so I had to go see it. Mad Max or Mortar. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Like how it, it went from, I think it was in Premiere Magazine, it had this huge, yeah, whole long detailed explanation of how the film developed and the, all the disasters in the process, so it was like this is the most amazing story ever. I got to go see this movie. But yeah, yeah, it was like, oh, make a Mad Max knockoff and then all of a, over time it evolves into this huge big budget film but never never actually gets better as yeah, the more D- money Dennis gets poured w- yeah, into it. Dennis Weaver is Tina Turner. <laughs> <laughs> in, in Beyond Thunderdome. Yeah. Uh, what about yourself, Jim? Do you listen to any other podcast shows? I Yeah, um, well... The one I was thinking of just recently, it, it's not really a podcast. I don't know if this is cheating, but it, I was, the past year I've watched a lot is, is uh, well, it's a radio sh- online radio show with, uh, it's like the Synthesizer Show with uh, uh, Vince, it's called the Synthesizer Show with Vincent Reed, and it's Vince Clark from Depeche Mode and Yaz, but lives in Brooklyn, and so they do this this Synthesizer Show, just a they're just DJs, you know, they're just playing music and it's like a little community radio station, I think on uh, Staten Island. And uh, yeah. they just had, you know, little webcams in the studio and it's just a little community radio station. But then I, yeah, I came across, it's like, oh, it's Vince Clark has his own radio show and it's, it's entertaining because they, they end up playing some of the same songs over and over again. You know, it's not... <laughs> But it's 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 nice just to listen to, but it's it's entertaining. So, and to clarify for people under the age of fifty, Vince Clark was also part of Erasure, right? Which I never, yeah, I never listened to Erasure. You know, I listened to Yaz and Yazoo and uh, the first uh, Depeche Mode record. Yeah. So Assembly. What was the or, thing with Fergal Sharkey? That's oh, it. The assembly. Right. Yeah, yeah, the assembly. I've got a. I've got an assembly twelve-inch somewhere. And the original writer and uh, a member of Depeche Mode. Yeah. So it's cool. Yeah, because they they kind of talk in between songs. You know, they he kind of has little anecdotes and things about recording, and so it's cool to see that him, him talking about stuff like that. It's like on Maker. I think it's called Maker Park Radio or Maker Park NYC. But it's just called the Synthesizer Show. Cool, that is cool, actually. Yeah. So, have you got any advice for anybody starting off uh, podcasting for the first time? Anybody? Apparently not. <laughs> uh, anybody? Well, I think we do, but I think we need to just, just translate it into the world that we came from, which was indie rock, right? Is do it, right? Because just do it. I think podcasting, not to get sincere, but I think podcasting is the newest form of indie rock because it's um, all you need are some microphones and a way to record it. Everybody can pretty much scare up the equipment to do it. And um, there's just lots of 
and you're put out, it's pretty democratized. You can get out there for not a lot of money. You can get all your stuff out there to a, a, a wide audience. And if you stick around and keep doing it long enough, you get good at it. People dig it, and and that that should exist. I think everybody should have a way to express themselves, uh, whether it be a catharsis or just just uh, you know, scratching that creative itch. And I think podcasting is a way for a very easy entry way to do that. Like for us, when we were kids, we all got in bands and we would record on two tracks, four tracks whatever the the technology had just kind of gotten accessible to people who didn't have a lot of money when we were younger and so that's why we all kind of got in bands and started doing it that way I still use my four track recorder <laughs> cool. yeah it's a powerful thing it is they recorded Sergeant Pepper on a four-track recorder. Right. That's right. That's what those ads. I remember. I I go off into four-track nerdland, but it was like I went into the guitar store to buy a Fostex four-track in the early '80s because they had that ad for the cassette four-track, and they said Sergeant Pepper's was recorded on four-track. I was like, I got to get a four-track recorder, but the guy upsold me to get this other four track that wasn't the all-in-one Fostex one that they had that ad for but it turned out being a better choice but yeah that was how I got into recording was the four track and I think it's yeah it's the same thing it's that idea that I love that what you said Chris is indie rock you know had a profound effect on me and it wasn't that um, people were making millions of dollars and rock stars playing music it was that you were part of a community and this is a way of doing that and being part of a community and having a small group of people and you can, you know, make make change in the world. You can communicate with people. You can have an effect. You can have a community. It does not have to be um, a podcast that a million people listen to and you sell advertising on. It can be the smaller thing that has, yeah, is part of a community. It's a powerful thing, just like indie rock. You're right, Chris. It's great. Yeah, it's like the old and I guess I mean, I've been in bands. Yep, go on, Chris. I just wanted to make the quick point, since I, since we were being sincere, Marv, is that uh, I'm listening to your podcast. The thing I really dug was that you are building a, a community of folks, and a lot of your podcasters are just getting started or have smaller audiences, and they're growing. And there there were a couple that obviously were were pretty popular, and I just uh, we feel pretty privileged, uh, or I do. I, I probably could speak for the rest of us of saying that you're uh, letting us into that community. So I wanted to thank you for that. It was really nice of you to to let us be on. Yeah, that's, that's okay. It's no problem at all. I was about to say. I mean, it's like, uh, we, like we've we've all said. You know, we've we've been. You know, I've been in bands when I was younger, and it was about it. What it wasn't necessarily about the, um, you know, trying to get somewhere. It was about you're there with your friends, and you're having a good time, and you're chatting together, and having a good time with each other. And now we're doing exactly the same thing with podcasts by getting together and chatting with people online and having a good time, just getting together and communicating connecting yeah exactly. yeah it's a great thing anyway where can and like by and, and actually by by the sound of your voice you sound like you're like in new england or somewhere so like you know we're in like the midwest you're probably <laughs> at florida or something i don't know where you're at but like you know we're doing it at least hundreds of miles away from each other much further than that <laughs> <What's> <laughs> 
trying to play the stupid guy again? Is that a kind of <laughs> trying to be the ugly American, but it's not it's uh, not landing okay. today. But that's yeah. all right. That's all you right. already made in, yourself in real sad. life. I'm, it would have worked maybe at the beginning, but you sound too intelligent over the course of the conversation. <laughs> it just didn't work. That's right. You're giving yourself away now, Chris. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yep. You were too yep. sincere, too real, Chris. You should have played the character a little more. Let me take a note. I got a script. Yeah, that. work that out of the script next time. I'm a lot closer to Robin Hood than uh, Kevin Costner is. That's for sure. <laughs> Just down the road. Okay, where can people find out more about you and your show? Well, the just the fun, one of the gags, the inexplicable gags on the show is that we don't want them to find out about us. <laughs> um, but uh, a lost and yeah. lost found rewound at at lotuspool.com. You can email us there or lost found rewound podcast on um, Instagram. And then we have Lost Found Rewound on Facebook. I think that's it. That's all the the ways you can find us. But if you do a search for Lost Ampersand Found Ampersand Rewound, you should be able to get to the uh, the podcast. Yeah. They're on all good streaming networks. That's right. Right. Yeah. yeah. That, that's, the, uh, that's the corporate bit now. Okay, thank you guys once again for being here and thank you everybody for listening. I hope you come and uh, listen again to another episode of Pods Like Us. found jim <laughs> hello yeah hello <laughs> martin <laughs> hello how's it how's it going not bad yourself fine am i i'm early yes you're very early <laughs> i just got it i just installed zoom i forgot I, I had it on my phone but i didn't have it on my computer so i wanted to make sure it's yeah. going seems to be working fine to do the last show by you doing it on my phone Central. Central. So, so about six hours or is it five? I, I think six. so, yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's quarter to six here. Yes, and it's quarter to 12 here. So, yeah, six hours. Yeah. yeah. And we just, the power is still on because we just had this huge thunderstorm, this line, 100 mile long line of thunderstorms just blew through here just. <laughs> wow. wasn't sure they were talking about 70 or 80 mile an hour winds but it definitely wasn't that bad here so it just went through just a few minutes ago and it's just this big wall and but it seems quiet now <laughs> and the power is still on so you're lucky to still have power yeah i think all the tree limbs that have come down or could have come down and came down already, or we don't have any around our house that are too big or, well, it doesn't have to be right around our house. I guess it could shut down, you know. It does happen from time to time, but but fingers crossed. It seems fine. 
it's not too late for you guys doing this. I know it's <laughs> the, the neighbors might moan, but we'll, we'll see. <laughs> right. Are they trying I, I, to? They trying I'm, to join in? I've not had a mess mention yet, or I don't know. No, nope. probably not. I like your theme song. It's a cool theme song. Thank you very is much. That, Thank you. <laughs> it's it's me. That is, is that you. Okay. That's me. Yep. All that's the music. Cool. All the music is me. Uh huh. That's cool. Thank you very much. There's Rick. Hello. Let's see. No. My uh, video working. No, I, I don't have video working on mine. That's okay. My, my webcam doesn't work. <laughs> and waiting on Chris. I'm here. Oh, he's here. <laughs> you don't look like your picture, Chris. Yeah, you know, uh, well, there is. I uh, was almost going to change into my PJ pants and, and T-shirt, but I know how Rick insists that I dress professionally That's when right. we meet. That's so right. nobody will see this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know, so I left a, I did leave a, a business casual shirt on, so it, it is tailored, but it's not <laughs> the tailored suit that Rick insists on. I think people can hear it in your voice if you're not dressed properly for the show. <laughs> they probably they they're probably people listening to this right now thinking that I'm a little too casual, a little less business and a little more casual right now. That's right. Jim, how are you dressed? Just normal. I've got stripes. <laughs> Business normal. <laughs> Stripe. Stripe. Any stars Stripe. to go with those stripes? <laughs> no, just no. stripes. What is it? These stripes don't run, or what is the? There's some like these stars don't run. What is it? Colors. These colors don't run. Oh, these colors don't run. Oh. <laughs> because of course, it shows you how the flag of the United States of America is the only flag that's red, white, and blue. It's the only one that has color in it. Hmm. The rest of them are black and white. I'm pretty sure. Marv, your your flag doesn't have color in it, does it? Certainly doesn't have red, white, and blue in it, does it? <laughs> it does have red, white, and blue. It does. Yes. Yep. Well, what, are you copying off of the United States, or what? How did that happen? Uh, <laughs> doesn't it go the other way around? <laughs> Gotta take Sorry, a little bit, Marv. Didn't you steal it off us when you were lucky enough to leave um, to leave us and become independent? Next thing you're going to tell us is that our national anthem's not unique either. <laughs> I have no idea about that. And neither do I. What 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 do you know? <laughs> what whatever? What sort of ignorance have I stumbled into here? Francis Scott Key wrote our national anthem, right? The words. He wrote the, the words. The tune is a little bit of a Chris. Oh, it's uh, what you know. Yeah, it's a. What is it? What is the other ver the the original? I can't remember. But yeah, you hear it from time to time. It's like oh yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a, a different British song. song. 
Yeah. Is, is it? I, I don't know. I don't know the history of the song. Yeah. Oh, they can <laughs> so. by the dawn early light. But it's, uh, yeah, what's the original? There's another, yeah. There's another version. <laughs> Rick, people are going to listen to you now forever and ever because that's going to be an outtake after the show's music. <laughs> right, yeah, you guys, if you haven't been listening to his podcast, he puts all the pre-show banter at the end of the show. I do. No. <laughs> I pick out, I just, the, I pick we out bits. Yeah. Uh-oh. I should probably start recording, right? Yes. Yeah, I have to. I have to too, but I have to exit out of my DAW and come back in. Well, luckily Zoom has recorded the whole thing, so I can still get Rick singing on it at the end. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, high quality. Well, Rick's a Rick's a professional singer, so that shouldn't be a problem. I could tell. I could tell. Rick, Rick can sing, and I, and I play music, which is why my theme songs don't have uh, uh, words to them. They're just instrumental. Did you do your theme? I did Mark? do my own music, yeah. yeah. Is it, uh, am I wrong to say that it's a little Echo and the Bunnymen influenced? Uh, the intro? No, I've not thought about that before. No, no, no. Hmm. Echo and the Bunnymen. Yeah. I could be wrong, then. Yeah, yeah, I already complimented him. Yeah, Good. what software do you use? What for for recording music? Yes. Um, well, I'm using Reaper at the moment. Reaper, all right. Yeah. Uh, but I use um, Audacity as well from time to time, and uh, yeah, so somebody gave me a version of Pro Tools, which I don't think is re- uh, official because it's in it's in Russian. <laughs> and I can't quite work out what to do because I can't understand what any of the options are. I've heard the Russian Pro Tool sounds better, though. Oh, that's good. <laughs> all right, I'm rolling. That's good. Are we all rolling? Mm-hmm. I know I'm recording my end as well on Reaper. Yeah. Yep, that's got me. Let's have a look. Okay. That's good. Uh, through the magic of editing, I'm going to now go to the toilet, if that's okay, and come back to you in a couple of minutes. <laughs> okay. It's fine, yeah. okay. You don't want to talk. Sure. To you. How did we do? Great. That was fun. That was fun. That was fun. Yeah. Did we hit all the bases? Oh, I think so. I think you got you got the full-on experience, the unedited experience. There's a Brit using a baseball term. (laughs) (laughs) It's lost on me, anyways. So yeah, you can you could use a baseball term incorrectly, and I wouldn't even know. Are there bases in cricket? What do you run? What do you run back and forth on? What are those? I don't know. What do they run back and forth on on cricket? Wickets? Wickets? The wicket's the thing you hit the ball with, I think. Back and forth. There's like five different definitions for wicket, I think, right? Oh, shit. I don't know. 
I, I have no idea about about cricket. I know more about <laughs> I know more about baseball than I know about cricket. <laughs> Jim knows. If you need to know more about cricket, Jim can tell you. Yeah, help us out, Jim. Yeah, that's the spin-off show from you from you yeah. guys then. Jim's <laughs> wonderful world of cricket. <laughs> American explains cricket. <laughs> oh, I can really see the audience yeah. now. <laughs> if only Chris, can, if only Chris can stay awake long enough to record the show and put it out there. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, there were those guys on your show that were they they do sports and they do they do conspiracies, and they were talking about football, but they were describing it as if it were like soccer or something. So I didn't quite understand. <laughs> That was Did that one hit. Yeah, is that one good? They they right. were on about soccer. They were on about soccer. <laughs> that made me laugh. Yes. Okay. Thank you very much, guys. I'll uh, I'll leave you all to it, and I'll look forward to your next episode. When when's that out? By the way, Chris. Uh, we are going to tape it next Tuesday, so it'll be out the following Monday, so uh, two weeks. We do we do monthly things, I think. I forget what the pattern is. We do two a month, I think, basically. So the one you're doing next week, I'll hear that in two weeks, and the one you did last year, I'll hear that for two weeks later. That's right. right. Correct. Yeah, there you go. You got it right. Yeah, you forget the timeline. <laughs> okay. <laughs> thanks a lot, guys. And Louise says thanks for the chat earlier on as well. Yeah, oh, yeah she was great. We enjoyed it. Thank you. You were great. We'll give you your own show next time. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you, guys. You take care. Stay stay safe out there. Go on. Thank you. We're going to need your email address so that we can send you the the WAV files or the MP3s. I'll put it up on the uh, Instagram thread that we've got going. Yeah, just send it to me and I'll send it to the guys. Okay. Thanks a lot, Chris. You take care, guys. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.